are listening to Whole and Free, a podcast serving you a heaping helping of encouraging truth to free your soul and make you whole. This is Kathy Schwanke, speaker, author, and encourager of the faithful, here to help you soar on the sturdy wings of truth and love. Well, today I want to ask you this question. Do you know how much God desires you? Do you know how much he desires your trust and obedience, which are tokens of your love for him? I love that Jesus started out teaching us to pray with the words, Our Father. The first words of what we've titled the Lord's Prayer. Address our Daddy in heaven. Some of you might need to sit with that for more than a minute. Think on the reality that God, the one who stands up water to divide the sea, the one who provides our every need for light and air and water and food, is our Father. I know a few episodes back we talked about the significance of us being daughters and sons. But think deeper on this reality. The God of the stars, the God who came and consumed sacrifices with flaming zaps, the God who was fire in the bush that was not consumed, is the fire in you. I like to think of our new birth as having the unlit torch in our heart, the one whose flame was snuffed out near the apple tree in the Garden of Eden, suddenly lit by the flame of God. Maybe you remember that when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, it was as tongues of fire. And think about this. Jesus said he's coming again to judge the world with fire. He judged it in the days of Noah with water, with a flood, put the rainbow in the sky to promise that wouldn't happen again. But the final judgment when he ushers in the new era of a new heavens and new earth is going to be a judgment by fire. If you and I as sons and daughters of God are fire, we will not be Uh, consumed because the fire is in us. We're already fire and fire can't be consumed by fire, right? If we're already the fire. In Jesus' prayer that he prays in John 17, in verses 22 through 23, he is saying this to the Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So Jesus is praying right before he goes to the cross for us to be united with each other. And he says that he is in us and we are in him and that he wants us to be one with each other in that same way. Now think about all those flames coming together and being united. What a force, right? What a powerful blending of love. Jesus is speaking of the most intimate intimacy. He is fiery love and he wants his fiery love to mark you and I. He wants to fill us with joy and to fuel us to live in response to him doing his kingdom work. In Anne Voskamp's most recent book, which I love and highly recommend called Waymaker, she writes, Oneness is the whole story of God. God is making everything into a way for this communion, withness, attachment, bonding, oneness. Isn't that the desire of us all to be loved, to belong, 
Don't we desire above all else to be in a whole family seen and known and loved for who we are? God calls us to be ministers of reconciliation. He wants reconciliation with people. And once we're reconciled to God, then he says we are reconcilers. We bring the truth to light so that people can know that our God is a God of love. Well, being reconciled to God means intimacy. It means an intimate relationship. People often refer to the time before the cross when Jesus flipped tables as justification for righteous anger. This is part of the story, of course, but not the whole of it. I believe the essence of the scene is twofold. First, the people who are selling in the temple are standing in the way of intimacy with God. Jesus said, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus is zealous for prayer. Well, what is prayer? Prayer is communication. Prayer is our union with God. Jesus's passion, his cross, is bringing people to God. Reconciliation is his mission. Well, let's look at that story. It's found in Mark 11, 16 through 18, as well as the other gospels, but I'm going to use the Mark passage here. It's entitled, Jesus Cleanses the Temple. Verse 15 starts, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Notice the word house. Usually when we think of house, it is home and it is our family. A house is a place of communion. A house is a place of communication. A house is a place of intimacy where we know one another and love one another and serve one another and live joyfully whole and free. When Jesus said that his house shall be a house of prayer, he's taking that actually from Isaiah 56. And I'm going to read a section of that that includes that uh, scripture. 4 through 8 of Isaiah 56 says, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord and minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Isaiah is talking to an old covenant people, and so they have the sacrifices and the Sabbath. Well, Jesus is our sacrifice and he is our Sabbath, so we don't Uh, we're not bound under that same covenant anymore because we're in that new covenant. But you hear there where he talks to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths. Well, eunuch has no power to reproduce. And I believe that's emblematic of the unborn. 
So when we become born again, then we have the power of God and we're able to reproduce spiritually. And that's what this is. It's spiritually speaking. And do you notice he opened it to all nations? He wants to bring us to his holy mountain and make us joyful in his house of prayer. And then I believe that we are those outcasts of Israel, the ones who have been on the outside, who have been invited in once we're adopted into Christ. He wants us joyful in his house of prayer. In my Bible study, Divine Conversations, I have a chapter on Jesus' prayer in John 17. It's always meant a lot to me. And as I was writing the chapter, I noticed that in the 26 verses, right in the middle of verse 13 is the tiny word joy. Essentially, Jesus is praying for our oneness with God and with one another so that we will have fullness of his joy, which is being home in him, which is being a part of his family, and we will be in his eternal house forever. That's his desire. That's his passion. That is his story, the story of God. Well, the other part of the verse that Jesus quoted, uh, you've made it into a den of robbers, comes from Jeremiah 6, 9 through 11. And this is a time where Israel was in rebellion. And Jeremiah wrote, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes. And so they were essentially being hypocritical. They were going out and just being sinful, and then they'd come in and pretend like they love the Lord, just because that was the way that had been established for them. He doesn't want fake love. He wants real love. And so the old covenant was that sacrificing. And that is the second thing I believe Jesus was displaying in the scene of flipping the tables, was he was actually uh, displaying a turning of the old system. The old covenant required sacrifices of animals and people to do all these things. But now, since Jesus is the Lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world, the system of animal sacrifice ceased. He is the once-for-all sacrifice uniting us, covenanting us, and tethering us to God. When Exodus, when Moses, the one who met God at the burning bush, um, he had a friendship with God. It says in Exodus 33:11, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. I remember reading that one day thinking, oh, Joshua got to hang out with God while Moses had to go out and deal with the motley crew of people. Uh, And so I know that Joshua is being prepared for when he would lead Israel by having that communion with God. But the idea that Moses spoke face to face with God is really what God wants for all of his children is to have that relationship. In Numbers 11, 26 through 29, there's a little story to demonstrate that. It says, Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. How would you like those names? (laughs) And the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, the tent where uh, Israel met with God. And so they prophesied in the camp. 
and a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. So in that, they're seeing that someone else besides Moses has the Holy Spirit. And they're alarmed about that, obviously. But Moses said, I wish everyone had that. And that is actually what Jesus came to do. He came and died to make it possible that his spirit could be in all of us so that we could abide in his love, that we could dwell with him in his house forever, that his flame could come in and there could be that fellowship. So just to give a little bit more depth of insight here, I want to share with you something I read this morning. I'm reading in my daily reading the story in 1 Samuel 21, where David is fleeing from Saul, and he's hungry, so he asks the priest Ahimelech for bread. Ahimelech shared the day-old bread with David. And if you read this chapter, some things seem a bit odd. So I wanted to dig a bit deeper, and I landed in a commentary by David Guzik. And this is what he writes. There is no common bread on hand when David asks Ahimelech for bread, but there is holy bread. The tabernacle of the Lord had a table that had 12 loaves of bread symbolizing God's continual fellowship with Israel. The importance and meaning of the bread are found in its name. Literally, show bread means bread of faces. It is bread associated with and to be eaten before the face of God. F.B. Meyer calls the showbread presence bread. To eat the showbread was to eat God's bread in God's house as a friend and a guest of the Lord, enjoying his hospitality. In that culture, eating together formed a bond of friendship that was permeated and sacred. The showbread was always to be fresh. Ahimelech would give David the old showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put the hot bread in its place, and that was replaced daily. God wants our fellowship with him, our time before his face to be fresh. I just loved reading that. We all want that with the people that we love, right? We want to have that constant connection and that communion with them, and how much more with our God. I told you in a previous episode, the little poem, the, the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed, meaning the new covenant or the new testament is concealed in the old testament, and then the old is revealed in the new. So I love making those connections. Bible study to me is like a treasure hunt. It's like a dig for gold. In the table-turning story, we see the zeal of the Lord to have us home, and we see his passionate desire for us, for you. The God who made you deeply desires you. He deeply desires you to move toward him. So, brothers and sisters, move toward God this week. Make time to spend with him. Is there something you could cross off your schedule and pencil in a date with the Lord of love and listen to his heart pour out love on you? Friends, the Lord loves you. Jesus died to set you free. He's with you to help you. Do your part and he will do his. This week, just try to be close. Listen for his voice when you're reading or driving or working out. And once you learn his voice, once you become more intimate with him, there's more and more and more. I'm praying for you to gain traction in living your one beautiful life, trusting Jesus on the journey, whole 